0: The old king's chief counselor was never wrong about anything. In the waning days of the king's reign, the prince garnered enough support and assembled a large enough militia to send the king and his court fleeing the capital city for their lives. But the king's counselor stayed behind and hired himself out to the prince. The counselor's first farsighted piece of advice came in the crudest form. "'Hey, why don't you pick the most public place?' Let the city see that you have slept with each of your father's concubines. That was a bold plan, a counterintuitive plan, but the old counselor was always right. By publicly taking the king's concubines, the prince proved to a skeptical city that he had cut off all ties to his father. Now the city could throw its support behind the prince without fearing any retribution, and it worked. While fleeing the city, the king came across an old friend who wanted to go into exile with him. The king asked his old friend to stay behind and serve in another, more ingenious way. He asked the friend to go into the capital city and ingratiate himself to the prince, declare your willingness, change loyalties, serve as an additional counselor to the prince. So the old friend, determined to somehow undo whatever genius advice the old counselor was giving, found favor with the prince just like the old king planned. Almost immediately, the prince had to decide what to do about the old king. The old counselor, of course, have the right answer. He said, This very night, use your militia. Pursue the old king and his men. Slaughter every one of them. But the king's old friend was now playing the part of the prince's new friend and his counselor. He was listening. The prince asked him to speak his mind, so the old friend did. I I don't think that's a good idea, he said, and then added delicately, At least not right now. The advice the old friend but the prince's new friend gave. It sounded like wisdom. It called for patience. Your father, he may be grieving, but he's as fierce as a wild bear defending her cubs. It would be better to resist the youthful urge for haste and practice the art of maturity by waiting. Amass greater support. Go later, don't go now. Well, guess which advice the prince adopted? The prince did wait, just like his new friend suggested. And that waiting time gave the king plenty of time to heal and regroup. And this time the king went on the attack and the king's general caught the prince in the woods where he was tangled up in the branches. You may have guessed it already. This was the story of Prince Absalom and King David, Counselor Ahithophel and old friend Hushai. And this is the story of us all. Because who we listen to determines our blessing or our curse. Welcome back, God's Word for Life loyal listeners. My name is LJ and I am your host. I hope you are faring well. Hope you had a great Sunday and are enjoying our podcast today. We are looking at the lesson dated November 7th, 2021, and it is entitled Walking in Righteousness. We're going to take a look at the book of Psalms, the very first psalm, the first chapter, the first verse of the first psalm. So if you have your companion student guide handy there, go ahead and turn there. If you have your Bible or your phone, go ahead and turn there. If not, you can just listen as I read along. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. We're going to learn how to walk in righteousness. And I'm going to open up with a pretty probing question. Can we change a defining moment? Scripture repeatedly teaches we can. We change our defining moments by allowing the Word of God to change us. And a great place to start is the book of Psalms. It's more than a hymnal. It is a book that aims at the reformation of the soul and dedicates us to align our whole self with the will of God. In an effort to begin this reformation, let's consider Psalm 1. It tells us about a blessed man, and that blessed man is remembered for one thing. He delights in the law of the Lord day and night. That word blessed is so loaded. You may have a general idea of what blessed means. In common speech, the term could be taken to mean something like living the good life, living la vida buena. But what does it really mean? Blessed has a religious worldview nested within it. It's difficult to imagine a secular discussion between two atheists in which one of them says goodbye to the other by saying, Hey, be blessed. Have a blessed day. Because blessed is a great one-word description of the underlying Hebrew term. In the biblical language, an amplified explanation of the Hebrew term would be something like being the object of God's affection and attention. That's beautiful. Who or what do you think of when you think of the word blessed? The psalmist said, blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. This Now, the word not might seem like a funny word to define, but let's give it our attention. The first sentence of the great songbook of Israel defines a blessed man not by what he does, but what he does not do. Plot twist. Once again, the blessed man's guidance, it does not depend on worldly knowledge. The counsel he heeds, the path he follows, the office he occupies are not limited to the doomed and feudal fashion makers. His directions come from on high. The blessed man is defined first by what he does not do because saying no to worldly voices is saying no to his own wisdom, his own sense of being wise enough to choose between those voices. Saying no to what? Saying no to the counsel of the ungodly. That word ungodly in the book of Psalms usually refers to people who act without a fear of God, who take advantage of people weaker than themselves. And in so doing, they break the royal law. We read about in James, we read about in Matthew, to love your neighbor as yourself. To listen to the counsel of such voices is to be drawn back into the world of shadow and blindness and darkness, where men grope about in the dark having no notion of the danger that lies ahead, but have no qualms about giving advice anyways. They're not the one to pay the price for their bad advice. You are. They do not know. They do not understand the real world. They act as if all that exists is the present and what lies at hand. The psalmist continues, don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly and don't stand in the way of sinners. The way is. The ancient world used to use that to describe Christianity. Before our faith was called Christianity, we were known as people of the way. You can find that in the book of Acts, chapters 9, 19, 22, 24. The way of sinners most likely refers to the practice and the lifestyles of sinners. Practices are usually predicated on someone's beliefs. If we believe one way, we will begin to practice that way. If we believe the world ended tomorrow, I would get a lot more Chick-fil-A today. But this belief would have a very significant impact on what we do today, what we value today, whom we value. Sinners are people who habitually trespass upon others and upon their Creator. They do this because they have too high a regard for their own rights, own preferences, own comforts, and very little for those of others. Now, how does the way of sinners differ from the way of the righteous? And then the psalmist finished, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. In our world, chairs are everywhere, not so much in the ancient world. They usually shared meals while sitting in a reclining position on the floor. Chairs were considered a luxury. The only people who generally sat in chairs were rulers. If a person was sitting in a chair, it usually meant the person was in charge. In the Bible, God is almost always said to be sitting upon a throne, and His angels are always said to stand, never to sit in His presence to sit in a seat then is basically to be in charge. If a person is sitting in the seat of the scornful, the seat of the mockers, he's in charge of the scornful, the mockers, those who ridicule holy things. This person has gone from being a novice, just listening innocently to the counsel of wicked people, or being gullibly entrapped by some slick salesman, to being the ringleader of these people who entrap the young and the gullible. If a person starts on the path listening to the ungodly, that person will eventually join their ranks and even become one of the people this first psalm warns readers to avoid. Walketh, standeth, sitteth. Those are the three main verbs of verse 1. And notice the progression. You go from walking to standing to sitting. In other words, there is extreme inertia in the lives of the unblessed but this works in the opposite direction of the rank the unblessed man accrues. When he rises from novice to veteran to ruler, he is simultaneously grinding to a stop in the business of life. Many broken in our world will testify to this experience. They were rising in the world of humanity, but at the same time hurtling downward toward the bottom in all the important areas of life. They became corporate kings, but at the same time they became men without homes. They ruled their business they could not rule their own home. From the perch of the king of fools, one cannot see anything worth seeing and cannot hear anything except the cackling of sad and drowning men. Receiving the right counsel is so important. Well, now that we know what the blessed man is not, that is, the man who is the object of God's attention and affection is not, let us consider briefly then what the blessed man is and does do. The verse does not say he merely believes in the law. The verse says he delights in the law. And you might ask, how am I supposed to make myself delight in God's law? I can't control my feelings. I can't just flip a switch and all of a sudden I delight. That's true. But we can influence our emotional response by our habits. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. How do we treasure the word of God? How about our time? Time is our greatest national treasure. If we put our time into knowing and practicing God's law, we are putting our treasure into God's law. Our thoughts become our actions. Our actions become our practices. Our practices become our habits, and eventually our habits will be reinforced by our emotions. Our emotions will become necessity. In other words, delighting in God's word will form the same way other delights in life form. If we practice God's law enough, this practice will become our habit. Once it is our habit, we find that the habit becomes a comfort or a delight in and of itself. How can somebody meditate on the word of God day and night? Well, the blessed man delights in the law of the Lord. And then the psalmist says, and he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which means he's not depending on the weather or the circumstance for sustenance, whether it's the hot summer or the withering winter. Our nourishment is reliable. we by the river. The ups and downs that accompany human life will not hold us hostage. While others are depending on perfect conditions for happiness, our happiness springs from another source, an eternal source. We bring forth fruit when it is our time, and we are content to let such a season come in God's time. The blessed man is blessed, the object of God's attention and affection, because his sustenance, his instruction are rooted in the eternal word of God and not in the temporal, ever-changing opinions of ignorant men. The word of God, the practice of his word, lifts us above the limited horizons of this life and lets us see life from a higher point of view. Don't you want to be blessed? Now the scripture says, they're not like the chaff the wind drives away. What is chaff? If you're not an agricultural aficionado, you may not know chaff is usually the material the farmer sifts away from the wheat. Farmer takes a pitchfork full of wheat, tosses it into the air on a windy day in early autumn. The wheat grain falls to the ground because it's heavier, more substantive, but the chaff is caught up in the wind and carries far away. Psalm 1 describes the ungodly as chaff, hostage to the forces of nature, the wind that blows when seasons change, the ungodly like chaff. They have their summer, they prosper in a season, but when the season turns to fall, they find themselves completely subject to the forces they used to believe they controlled. This wind is like God's judgment. As the wind determines the difference between wheat and chaff, so does God's judgment between the blessed and the ungodly. Everyone faces the wind. We need to remember that those who walk with God and those who walk away from him, everyone faces the wind, but only the blessed withstand the wind. The ungodly are carried away by the judgment of God. We should not merely think of this judgment as what occurs at the end of time. God's judgment occurs pretty regularly, even before we die. The winds of life blow. Those are also God's judgments. For well, the one who has taken counsel from Scripture will stay standing. And God will guard and guide the blessed man. The blessed man lives within larger horizons. Though the blessed one does not always feel happy, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. The blessed one is never trapped in the prison of the present, fearing that what is happening right now is forever or that present misfortune is final. Being blessed lives in the light of eternity rather than by the dim lamps of the worldly mind. If there was one single word that would summarize this person, it is blessed. Now let's get extremely practical in what this means in our life. For James, who wrote the book of James in the New Testament, there were certain individual actions that could measure a person's character. We might think of them as samples that reveal what really lies within We might even refer to this as the royal law theory. The royal law, according to James, is loving our neighbor as ourselves. Sounds familiar. Jesus said that. If we break this law, and let's say we welcome a rich man who can bless us, but we keep at arm's length a poor man who cannot, we have broken every conceivable law because we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. Conversely, if we welcome both, we have upheld the whole law. James taught us that our true attitude toward Jesus is actually revealed in our attitude and the way we treat others who can neither bless us nor hurt us. What does this look like in daily life? Well, consider your emails. If you take great care in how you write to somebody who is in a position to help you, to give you a job, give you a promotion, give you accolades, but you take relatively little care with how you write a subordinate, You are subtly breaking the royal law. This one act is a sample representing the whole of your character, the defining moment, the defining act. Let's follow the words of the psalmist, the inspired words, and let's walk in righteousness. Love God with all and love our neighbor as ourselves. Let's wrap this up. Jeremy Painter, the one who wrote this lesson, he tells this story. I once saw a man with three children worshiping in a church service. One child was holding on to the back of the pew and swinging back and forth. All the corners and edges in that old church were hard, wood, stone, and right angles. I was afraid the child would fall and crack open her head, so I was anxious, watching all this. What made me even more anxious was the fact the child's father was engrossed in worship, hands upraised, eyes closed, singing while the child came repeatedly within inches of a trip to the hospital. It was not long, though, before the father, almost unconsciously, started tending to the child. He did the most peculiar thing. He continued to worship, but he worshiped with one hand in the air and one hand behind the child's head, guarding her. He sang and prayed, and without touching the child's head, his protecting hand moved back and forth inches from the back of her head the whole time. I said to myself, Now haven't I just caught a glimpse of this man's soul? Hasn't God just given me this window to look into? Hadn't the cloudy present parted and revealed the truth? An unguarded moment when no one seemed to be watching. The father was capable of worshiping God and watching over his child's well-being at the same time. Surely, this man will walk with his children one day in glory. Had I just witnessed a man's defining moment? Had I just seen what a blessed man looks like, a man who meditated upon the Lord, even while tending well to the gifts God had already given him. Indeed, today we echo the inspired words of the psalmist, blessed is the man. Would you pray with me right now and ask the Lord to help you to be blessed? Take your counsel from godly people. Don't stand in the way of sinners. And certainly don't sit in the seat of the scornful in any kind of rulership or leadership over those who mock the things of God. But let's tend well toward the gifts God has given us and love our neighbor as ourselves. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege to hear your word, to study it, to read it. God, I pray, let your word read us. Let it show us where we're doing well and where we're coming up short. I pray you would give very clear insight and understanding to us today from your precious word. Thank you for this lesson. Help us to live it out. Help us to heed and hear the words of the psalmist and help us to live a blessed life. Get our counsel from you and from others who are godly and not stand in in the way of sinners and certainly not sit in the seat of the scornful. May we meditate upon you day and night and be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. I pray you would help us to be a truly blessed people and to be thankful for the blessings you give in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you so much, God's Word for Life listeners. I appreciate you making this a part of your devotional walk and your walk with Jesus Christ. I pray this episode is a blessing to you. Be sure to click subscribe so you'll know every time a new episode drops. And also be sure to share this with somebody. If you know somebody who could use this and need it, by all means, go ahead and share that with them. And hopefully it'll be a blessing to them as it was to you. If you have not yet been to our website, visit godswordforlife.faith. You will love it. Great material, great content. Gives you the chance to download the student guide. So if you want to follow along with these episodes, you can. There's a companion guide to go with them. Otherwise, you can see all the resources that are fantastic for your devotion, your discipleship, and then also to help others in their discipleship and their relationship with God. From where I sit here in Ohio, the leaves are falling, and so is the temperature, which means we're almost to the most wonderful time of the year, and it also means we're almost to the end of the quarter. But next week, we're going to continue our tour of the Book of Psalms, and we're going to stop at another milestone, landmark, trademark, famous psalm, the 23rd Psalm, the Shepherd Psalm. That's going to be November 14, 2021, and that's going to be entitled, Our Shepherd. I'm really looking forward to sharing that with you and always look forward to learning and
1: living out God's Word for life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, Visit us today at Pentecostalpublishing.com.